0: Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry.
1: And I am Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed on this podcast are our own and not our
0: employer's. We are excited to have with us today, comedian Alison Goldberg, whose work includes all sorts of things, matchmaking and online dating. We are happy to have with us today, Alison Goldberg, a performer and creator whose work has been covered by Good Morning America, LA Magazine, Time Out New York and LA, the LA Times, NPR, Wired Vice, and many others. Allison was also featured on the cover of Time Out New York, which ranked her among the top 10 funniest women in New York City. And then she promptly moved to California. Her projects include live original comedy shows and stand up, an ongoing podcast with the Daily Dot, an original citywide festival supported by the New York City Mayor's Office of Tech and Innovation, and digital series with Soul Pancake, Mashable, Facebook Watch, Woo and others. She is a graduate of Yale University where she met Talia Lerner, our guest on episode 21, Second Marriage in the Second City, who introduced us to Ali. Yay. Also, and Ali didn't even know that before this podcast, but fun fact, her brother went to high school with my college boyfriend. I think I technically met her brother when wait, we were wait, wait, all wait, in wait, college wait, wait, together. Wait, 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 Back up, back up. What? <laughs> so your brother went to high school with my college boyfriend, and then we were my all in together. Your brother. That's right. But that means
2: I also went to high school with him then. Yes, but you're not the same year. So, okay, your ex. Yes. Who's your ex?
0: I'll say it and then I'll edit it out for when we actually air it. Great, great, great. Yeah, I know.
2: (laughs) Of course you know. (laughs) Everybody knows. (laughs) Haven't seen him in 20 years, but I know him. How do you feel That's about so Irina knowing funny. that she dated him? <laughs> I mean, I don't, honestly, though, my memories of him are so old. I remember him being, like, a smart kind of dorky guy, you know, That's which are the, the best kind, really. I have no idea what he's up to now. Not a clue. Haven't well, heard that name uh, in years.
0: <laughs> well, you know, he's living in New York City. He's married. He's got three kids, so. Weird. He's doing fine. Smaller. So, Ali, I'll, I'll have to see what I'll leave in I'm trying that. to remember <laughs> when I saw
2: him last. When was it? All right. I'll talk to my... I'm visiting family right now, so I will discuss with my it's older brother, brother after this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Ali, welcome to Strangers on the Internet. Uh, dating is a big theme in a lot of your work. What fascinates you about this topic, an interest that we obviously share with you, given the theme of our own show? Ooh. I could talk about it all day. I
2: mean, I just find human relationships so fascinating. They just are. I just think, you know, relationships are what make us tick in some form or another. I mean, our entire lives are about relationships, whether they're romantic or platonic or familial or whatever they are. That's like the whole spice of life. So... I'm fascinated by it, and I think from a performance perspective, I'm very fascinated. I'm just I just love live performance and I love crowd work and I love audience members meeting each other, and dating lends itself to that. And it's something we can all identify with, no matter where we are in our
0: relationship journey do you want to tell us about your comedy slash dating show love isn't blind uh and what's the latest about it being optioned so I saw that on your website
2: <laughs> so I run a dating show where the men can't speak because sometimes straight men should be seen but not heard you know no big deal uh, so if the show is it's I make a lot of feminist jokes in the show about men um shutting up It's actually a very silly, joyful show. I do not roast the men. All the men walk away getting tons of dates. It's a really ridiculous, rowdy show. And I, yeah, it's been a blast. I'm happy to tell you anything. I call their moms live on stage. I search their phones. There's a yes or no round where they can only nod yes or no. Um, But I'm also making real matches. So my April couple is dating very seriously and they returned to a future show with his mom. (laughs) and then his mom is single so then I tried to whore out his mom (laughs) I asked the audience who wants to be a literal motherfucker tonight I haven't asked you if I can curse on this podcast I think I'm gonna be a very different guest than your others um Mm, that's
0: fine but yeah an explicit
2: podcast wonderful (laughs) and yeah a guy in the audience was like I'll date your mom it was it was nuts it was nuts so yeah, it's been a blast. And I, I make people wear wristbands when they enter. So you get a red wristband if you're taken, green if you're single. I tell my door people if they hesitate, give them yellow. So my situationships, my people who aren't sure. And then, of course, the poly people started complaining as as they do. And now we also have poly purple. I both love and hate that they complained. <laughs> I actually think it'd be really fun if there was like 20 different wristbands and like you have to come back to multiple shows and it's sort of like an if you know, you know thing. But yeah, so audience members are meeting each other. A lot of couples are coming out of the audience. Um, There's one in particular I know that met in the November show and are still going strong. So it's been like six months. They don't know this, but like whenever they post on their stories that they're like on vacation together, I lose my shit.
1: (laughs) That's so exciting that you've actually been able to facilitate people making so real connections fun. for themselves. Now, with the contestants, are they being pulled from the audience or do you have some other
2: process for getting the contestants? Oh, no, I vet them in advance for sure. And um it's actually a pet peeve of mine how many people and this is no no offense to you, but how many people think I just kind of do it on the fly and I'm like, "Do you know how much work I put in?" <laughs> Like last month, uh, this girl wrote me and said, I see you're sold out, but I really want to be the bachelorette for tonight. I was like, girl, you don't even have a ticket, so I I vet them well in advance, because the other thing is, it's comedy first, but I do want to make real matches. So I interview people, and I try to figure out what groups may actually make sense together. And from my perspective, just as a theater dork, in theater class, you always talk about raising the stakes, and the stakes are higher and that there's suspense and the audience can get invested when we believe that a real match could be made. So it's more fun for everyone when a match is possible. And Irina, you had asked about the option. I optioned it to a production company, um, which probably sounds cooler than it is. I mean, I should probably, you know, be more proud. Like it is cool, but it doesn't, <laughs> just means a production company's attached and I'll be pitching networks in the fall. But it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to get made, but yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: What are So what are some of the most hilarious things that have happened on the show? Oh my god, so where far? to begin.
2: Well, the irony of your podcast being about strangers on the internet is that I'm a big fan of real life and I think everyone is tired of swiping and it's part of the show's success. But some of the craziest things, there's one moment in an early show that I still just giggle about, which is I called one of the moms and I said, what are you looking for in a daughter in law? And she paused and said, honestly, fertility. The audience shrieked. Like moms are crazy. This one mom tried to set me up with her son live when she realized I was Jewish. Then she threw under her son under the bus completely and talked about how you shouldn't let him drink. And one time he got so drunk and he went in the closet and said, why is my, no, he went in the shower and said, why is my closet so small? I mean, it's wild. It's wild. The things that happen. There's also a yes or no round and the men can only ask yes or no questions. And they're blindfolded so they can't see what the other men are doing. And I give them a spanking paddle. And if they want the bachelorette to answer, they raise their paddle. But she only has to answer if all four paddles are raised. So the fun of that is that in every single show, there's this moment where the audience starts losing it. And they start screaming, raise your paddle! Because, like, three guys have their paddles raised. And there's always one guy, because I don't have performers. These are just, like, real people that are tired of swiping and up for shenanigans. There's always one guy that, like, forgets he's holding a paddle. And the audience just literally shrieks until he remembers and lifts his paddle. And it's like you can feel the whole theater just shake when this happens. So yeah, I could talk your ear off about the bananas moments. I mean, last month, a guy ate a pie. It was insane. I mean, (laughs) well, another thing I do is I have audience members, when you buy a ticket, you can leave a fun fact about yourself if you're single. And someone said they want a pie eating contest. So while The Bachelorette is deliberating on whom to eliminate, because it's an elimination style game show, I chat up the singles and talk about their fun facts. So I said, someone here said that she won a pie eating contest. Long story short, she lied. We don't know why. It's a strange lie. And I said, why did you lie? And she said, I didn't think it mattered. And I said, you didn't think it mattered? I brought a pie. And I pulled a pie out. And then this other guy ate it in less than a minute. It was just nuts. It was nuts with his bare hands. You, have, you had to be there. I don't know. It was crazy. There's there's insane moments at every single show. The whole show is insane from start to finish. I know I'm biased, but I would do this show every night if I could find enough contestants. Sorry, just talking to me you. feel like, off. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm so hopeful for you that it gets picked up because it's so funny to watch, so entertaining. And like you said, you can just tell people are really excited about the ability to participate in something and to connect and to have... Um, there's multiple levels of connection, whether it's just as an audience member or, uh, oh, are we getting to know each other? And so it's just so nice, you know, our title, Strangers on the Internet, is is definitely derived from the fact that so many people do meet through the Internet these days. But we've had a lot of episodes that talk about how people lament not having great opportunities to meet in real life anymore either. And so something that's fun, engaging, low stakes. I mean, it sounds really awesome. I would definitely watch this show regularly if it, (laughs) um, you know, if it gets picked up and in the meantime, check it out on YouTube. Um, How did you decide on some of the different segments Were there ones that you obviously knew you wanted to do and then others that you like field tested or something like that? What's your favorite segment? How did you decide (laughs) what what to
2: feature? I think what's weird is that sometimes I'll be brainstorming a show and it'll take me a long time to figure it out. And actually, I'm working on a new show now. It's Comedians versus AI, and comedians are playing games against chat, GPT, mid-journey, that kind of stuff. And I'm still, I've done the show live twice, and I'm still like, okay, who is the AI, right? Like, is it a comedian on stage? Is it someone in the God booth? Is it a techie on their laptop? Like, there's still a lot to figure out. Love Isn't Blind was a little crazy because it was one of those things where just boom I I was with my friend Eva shout out to Eva and I it's a long story and I'm like Ali don't talk these ladies ear off but like post-pandemic is it was was a weird time for performers like I, I used to always create shows and then I didn't for two years right so I was like and then I realized that I had this fear around it because I hadn't done it for so long and so I made my friend Eva sit down and I was like I need to put a show on and I think I want to make dating fun again I think, like, what are how could you make speed dating cool? Which is not what my show is. It's not speed dating. But it's, like, people, like, speed dating, when you think about it, makes so much sense. Except for, stereotypically, the people who show up are kind of odd you know but it it makes a lot of sense people want to go meet in real life and I just wanted to create something rowdy and insane and even I ironed out all the rounds in like 10 minutes I found the piece of paper where we first wrote out the outline for the show and it's still pretty similar like I've added shenanigans for sure like you know the audience member fun facts and you know, (laughs) I've sometimes I'll like uh, take the contestants and show the bachelorette their AI babies. Like there's more shenanigans that I've done, but the core rounds have been the same out of the gate, which has been really fun. And, um, you know, the, the, The round that might be the most fun might actually just be the yes or no round. It's so simple, but it's so wild. And the fun of it comes from the juxtaposition of the questions. So I will, I tend to vacillate between asking something more relationship oriented. So I'll ask like, do you know your attachment style? And then the very next question will be like, have you ever been peed on? And so the audience just goes crazy at sort of the juxtaposition of it. And audience members, when they enter, they can leave a yes or no question in a hat on stage. So I do about 10 to 15 questions. Then I take questions from the audience. And then I turn to the bachelorette and she also brings a friend up with her for the whole show and they can ask some final questions. So that round, it's just so revealing and it's so wild and, and kudos to these men who, first of all, I wouldn't have a show without them. But second of all, I do look for good feminist guys. I joke, I make so many of the bachelors, my friends afterwards And my point being, they get honest and they, it's wild. And I also tell the men, and it's true, I'm like, please, you know, be yourselves and be weird in the theater. I'm not going to post anything on the internet without your consent. And I don't. So no matter how much time me or my editor might spend on a clip, if a guy says, I don't want that on the internet, it's not going on the internet. Like, I'm not actually looking to throw anyone under the bus. And I have a whole separate rant about how we've normalized putting everything online, but I think there's a lot of ethical issues that we should be asking ourselves that people don't, especially in my field in comedy. Like people will do crowd work and just put it up on the internet. And I'm like, did you reach out and get that person's consent? And I've asked and often they don't. And I just think there's something wrong about that. I also think there's, you know, I try to create a safe space in the theater and I want people to not feel like that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like I want a safe space and then, And there's plenty of content. I'm like, if you don't want me to put this on the internet, I've got plenty of other clips to choose from. Sorry, I'm so long-winded because I'm obsessed with this show. I want to do it all the time. I'm obsessed (laughs) with this show, too. I
1: think it's fabulous. Like, I I just loved the idea for the different – like, the core content that you came up with. I just think it's so interesting. Like I said, that's why I was so curious about how you guys decided on that. But it sounds like – I mean, you picked up on things that really – strips down a lot of dating to the stuff that we wish we could just find out which is really nice so you know like who is their mom (laughs) um, you have to answer the yes or no but you can't see how other people are answering so there's no motivation to answer any other way than how you would actually answer and oh my god yeah the mom one that is just so interesting to me because i think plenty of times in different dating groups i belong to people joke slash wishful think about um I wish I could call this guy's mom and tell him what he's, <laughs> tell them what he's been up to or, oh, you know, get him in no. trouble his mom.
2: it's interesting. I mean, of course there's some moms that are like my son. Oh my God. I think one mother literally did call her son God's gift to earth. Oh
0: yeah. No. That did happen.
2: But so many of this, so many of the moms are, Oh my God. I had one guy where I said, actually every now and then the mother isn't, you know, she's in a, you know, she's in an opportune time zone or I've actually had some moms who have passed so sometimes I'll call other family members and there was this one guy I called and said why do you think he would make a great partner and his family member said I don't, and it was wild. I mean, the audience shrieked. He was a great sport, though. He was like, "That's gonna be a great clip on social media for you." And I was like, "I am not gonna post that if you're not okay with it." And he was like, "I'm cool with it."
1: <laughs> Sometimes people are fine with who they are. They know it doesn't come as a surprise to them. But like, so gosh, funny. yeah, just to be able, because I think that's something so many of us want to do is like meet the family, meet the friends, but we don't want the intensity of what it means to meet the family or the friends. Like, so yeah. you kind of wish you could just hear from them. So I think that's really great. And then, oh my. Gosh, the looking through their phones. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What is like, what's something that comes to mind that you found that you weren't expecting to find when you look through somebody's phone?
2: So I think what's really fun, well, first of all, I have found incriminating things and I just don't read them. So people have always said, like, why don't you plug in their phones? We want to see. And it's like, because I'm actually live screening a little bit, right? Like, there was one guy where I searched his browser history and some really wild stuff popped up. And in the moment, all of a sudden, I realized, I was like, oh, He's a therapist, and I don't even know if these searches are for him. So I made a joke about HIPAA, and I moved on to something else in his phone. So I'm not looking to throw anyone under the bus. What's really fun about the phone round is actually how much you can learn about someone. So something that I loved is in an early show, The Bachelorette, she's this beautiful, wonderful bassoonist. I've made her my friend. But she says she's really secretly a dork, and she loves anime, and things like that came up. And then I searched his YouTube watch history, and he'd watched, like, all of the anime that she had mentioned. And so it was so fun for the audience to be like, oh, these, like, they actually, they're both super hot and have all this stuff in common, you know what I mean? And then that is who she chose, and people were so invested, and then we all went to karaoke together after the show, and they sang A Whole New World together. It was wild. So, yeah, the, the phone search is really telling sometimes. And my job as a comedian is just to find a laugh and get out and it's not to actually again roast anyone but um oh man last month when i did it and i took this one guy's phone who i'm now kind of making my friend and we've talked about this i was like the look of fear in your eyes when i took your phone like he had this pleading look in his eyes like please please." i was like i wish i I wanted to tell him in the moment like i'm not i'm not gonna hurt you bro But, um, but going back wow. to strangers on the internet, you know, in a way it is still the internet because that's how I get the applications. Like, they are strangers. I do not meet... With, with a few exceptions, but I generally don't meet any of the contestants until the night of the show when they show
0: up. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, there's there's really a double entendre in the name of our show because Michelle and I have actually never <gasps> met. Yeah. Really? To this day. We're, so, we're, funny. We're, well, now you can't, you know? Can't, like you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now we yeah. can't. So, so, you're working both on the beginning of relationships, but then you have a show that on the end of I relationships. Do. Which is how to break up by text. So can you describe it and tell us how you've been able to get these various comedy stars involved? So that one is actually
2: an older show that I used to do in New York because as texting, I mean, there are so many things that, again, we regard as normal that are actually not normal. And I think just because we've normalized it doesn't mean it's okay. And so I was very fascinated when texting fully took over that people were then breaking up by text. And I thought, it was so fascinating, but people, you know how, well, whenever something like that happens, the first thing any of us do is we screenshot it and we send it to everyone we know. And so there's something so funny to me about people breaking up by text with no regard for where it's going to be sent. And then, of course, there's, all this strange etiquette right like you don't want to write too much or you look crazy but like if you write too little it can be so misconstrued there's no tone there's no facial expression like you can read those texts a lot of different ways they're generally a horrible idea and they escalate things quickly but they're also ripe for comedy (laughs) because the other thing is like oh my gosh like the use of all caps the spelling errors the emojis that people throw in so a while ago I had an ex-creative partner we're on very great terms now but she doesn't write or perform any anymore and we would take audience members phones and perform their text breakups live on stage and if you submit live you get a free shot and we would also project our real phone numbers and so you can also if you don't want to speak up but you do want to submit you can text us your screenshots live and it was sort of again like creating this safe space of like we're putting our phone number out there you can do this um and there's always like There are a lot of shows where people are hesitant at first and then like sort of the ice is broken. Then there was the interesting phenomenon of the people who would come ready, right? Like they didn't have closure. They were angry and they were so willing to ask a room of strangers. It's very fascinating. It was actually like this strangely cathartic show. I have one story in particular, which I can share in a moment if you're interested, of, of this guy who afterwards was like, that was so bizarrely cathartic. But anyway, when I moved to LA and was going out on my own and figuring out what to do, Next, I revived that show and turned it into a panel show where I have a panel of comedians break down your breakup and they would reenact the text and some were submitted in advance, some were also still submitted live and then that was also optioned and ultimately sold to an audio platform that I'm still not technically allowed to name but you know it. (laughs) It's going to come out in February. It's been such a slow process. But so the format there is celebrities perform your breakup texts. And then an expert joins and we break down your breakup. So we, we had Margaret Cho, Bobby Moynihan, Eliza Schlesinger, like all these people that I can't believe that I met. Although I make fun of myself because the producers told me all these big celebrities we were going to get. And then they told me that Dan Savage was going to be one of the experts. And I almost cried. It was like, the celebrity fine. Dan Savage is my hero. Like I lost my shit when they told me Dan Savage was coming. And also we did a trade where I was a guest on his podcast. And he's one of the few people that I listen to religiously every week. And I fangirled out so hard. I like lost my shit. <laughs> But he's amazing. So anyway, so it was a really I actually really came to love that format because I mean, you guys, I suppose of something a little bit similar, right? Like I love I loved the presence of expertise in the mix that would really drill down on like, well, actually, I think we're seeing, you know, this these types of behaviors are being exhibited or you know what I mean, that they could actually lend us some advice as well. For the listener
1: well we are available if you've got an expert slot that you're in need for the <laughs> well, show I mean
2: <laughs> I'm frustrated because I won't find out if I get a season two for I mean it'll be well over a year since recording before I find out if there's a season two oh so my cross your fingers I hope I can reach out to you later
1: <laughs> that would be amazing we'll definitely be listening we'll and I'm still be here. our audience will too yeah tell us the story you had brought up about um oh my the one guy.
2: it was so interesting so He was really in love with this girl. I mean, they met, and he was like, this is it. This is great. And it was six months in, and out of nowhere, and these are the texts that we're performing. Out of nowhere, she says, by the way, I'm moving to L.A. I didn't want to blindside you. And I'm thinking, this is the definition of fucking blindsiding. (laughs) So they, they had been living in New York, and she just, like, moves to L.A., and he's a bit. I don't want to say devastated but he's like what like because it's like they didn't even have a talk she just left but they were like still texting sometimes then apparently she started like hooking up with her roommate in LA and she would send him all these drunk texts that would like torment him and he and so we had like various trying to tell you the story succinctly but we had like various screenshots of this like journey and then she sends him this like all caps screenshot that's like you know I don't it's oh my god it said I don't want to be the housewife that thinks about what she could have been step the fuck up I want to be yours I mean it was like it was nuts but he I mean I don't want to say nuts that's not I really like to call women crazy but like it was really out there okay <laughs> it was but he was too too in it to see that this was actually really unhealthy right Because she was basically saying, like, you should have stopped me. And it was like, but you just announced you were going. It wasn't a conversation. You know what I mean? But he's like, should I have stopped her? Anyway, this is a very convoluted retelling. But what was amazing is to hear an entire audience be like, no, no, don't, no, like, and agree with him. So at first we're reading the texts and we're piecing together the story and he wanted to remain anonymous. So we're just on stage doing dramatic reads of these texts and then projecting them and discussing them. The audience is going crazy. They're all on his side. And then I said out loud, this guy is here tonight he does not have to reveal himself but if you want to now is your chance and you could have heard a pin drop because everyone like you could tell really both sides of what's happening you could tell his side you could tell her side that she just kind of up and left and then was sending him all these texts about how he should have followed her and he slowly stood up the audience went absolutely wild we brought him on stage I put a tiara on his head and had the audience shout affirmations at him And afterwards, he wrote us this email that was like, that was such a strangely cathartic experience. Like, he submitted the texts because he knew they were wild, but he did not necessarily want to be named or called out. But hearing this room of strangers be on his side before they even saw who he was was really actually helpful for him. So, So it's interesting. I think sometimes my shows sound mean, but they are designed to be very sort of connecting, I think, yeah. I think in, I think in this world of technology, we need spaces to connect. Totally agree. Once and again, I, I'm I totally so hear
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and what you're doing is, and, you know, laughter is a thing that connects people and vulnerability is often a thing that connects people. And you've combined those things in a fun, safe, low stakes kind of way. So that's really lovely. You know, what you were just describing with that one guy you know, it reminds me, I've talked about on the show before here and there, how I am an avid Am I the Asshole fan on Reddit. Like, I love <laughs> yes. reading and judging people's Great, <laughs> issues. Sub. Yes. And it's the exact same thing, like, that you see there so often is somebody will present, uh, hey, here's the scenario. And you also have to say why you mm-hmm. think you might be the asshole. And, mm-hmm. and so people give this. But yeah, sometimes you can see how cathartic it is for people when they're like, like, I legit thought maybe I'm the asshole. But no, you guys are saying, like... I am dealing with some messed up, dysfunctional people. It's like my messed up, dysfunctional partner, my messed up, dysfunctional family, or my partner's messed up, dysfunctional family. They are the assholes, not me. And how it it can be so connecting and so cathartic Mm -hmm. to hear from people outside of your own bubble. Because like you said, it's so hard for people when they're in the situation to realize how bad it's gotten. The parallel that I can think of is, with with children, when you are with a child every day, you don't necessarily notice the child growing, but somebody who only sees the child every six months or once a year, like when you post your first day of school pictures, they're like, yeah. oh my God, your kid has grown so much since last year. And you're like, that's weird. I guess they have, like when I look from year to year, yeah. but you know, I'm there every day. So it's been gradually happening or how you gradually put on pounds that you didn't mean to, you know, mm. or things like that. <laughs> so things can happen so at such a snail's pace that you don't realize what has, like, what a slippery slope some unhealthy or dysfunctional behaviors can be. And I think that's going to be relatable to a lot of our audience. A lot of people have found themselves in relationships where it's, it's so refreshing to hear somebody from the outside or a whole audience. I can only imagine, you know, having a whole audience pretty collectively being like, no, you're good. Yeah sucks yeah. and, so and that's I think it's very understandable
2: yeah and I think that's what's terrible about text breakups in general because you're really not even getting the feedback from the person involved like it's just it's so succinct and final and you just I, people go crazy analyzing these handful of words It's kind of interesting and like poetic justice
1: a little bit. I have to say, I've never thought about it in this way somehow until you said so, but um, how I guess the irony of somebody breaking up via text, which is supposed to be like an impersonal thing and detach them from the situation is now... The very evidence that could put them on blast, like yes. for any shared friends or anything like that, oh because God. now it's in writing. It's actually quite interesting to me to think the about. Best is when people, people break
2: up with like me that. by text. I'm like, you know what I do, sir. <laughs>
1: So they say Taylor Swift has a hard time dating because people are like, are you going to write
2: a song about me? She's like, yeah, I am. I'm probably yeah. going to do that. Although actually it's one of my pet peeves when I match with a guy on Hinge or something and he's immediately like, are you going to use me in material? And it's like, don't flatter yourself, bro. You'd have to be so much more interesting than you probably are. Like most of you are going to be a boring story. <laughs> like if I write about you in my standup, you've done something wild. So are you going to do something wild? <laughs> Up to you. Yeah, it's really yeah. The it's it's in their boat. So,
0: so uh, what is your best advice on how people can get over breakups? Whether that breakup happened over text or perhaps in a more palatable form, but at the end of the day, it still really hurts, right? So, what do you do when you're at the other end of a breakup?
2: You know, I can't say that I'm the expert on that. I, (laughs) you know, in the sense that I, through the breakup show, we've gotten amazing advice from other people. I think it was Shadeen Francis who told me that on the podcast, she was one of the guests. She said that a negative reappraisal period is actually helpful. So actually, so shit talking them can actually be a good thing to an extent for a period of time because you actually need to make them negative in your head so that you can move on And then, of course, if you decide, you know, for for a period of time, you might decide to be friends with your ex. So there's been a lot of interesting advice that I've heard. That one sticks in my mind for sure. I will say I think breaking up by text is totally fine really early on, right? If it's really early on, the people don't necessarily want to have a talk with you, right? If it's like two or three dates in. I, I kind of joke that it's like, you know when it's right and you know when you're secretly just taking the easy way out and you should give them a call. Or e- honestly, even like a voice note can be better than just a text. So they can hear your voice and your intonation and things like that. But in terms of moving on, I mean, it's a tricky thing. There's also Amy Chan who runs the breakup boot camp, and she has a lot of great materials as well on how to actually move on from your breakup. I had, uh, had a good friend tell me something Really fun the first time I scratched my car when I moved to LA. I was devastated and I called her and she said, Allie, welcome to LA. It's called the LA Kiss and it's just like heartbreak. The first one is the worst and every one after that gets easier. <laughs> I thought that was the perfect thing to say. Thank you, Lauren Katz. So yeah, I just think I don't know. My I guess my personal advice is to start rock climbing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an avid rock climber now and it's like changed my whole worldview I it helps my I mean my self esteem is like so high when I summit a freaking cliff you know what I mean like I I I climb to the top of a cliff and I'm like who who was I upset about (laughs) so you know which I guess is just supposed like doing things you love instead of you know, ruminating. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's good because it gets you back
1: to yourself, like you said, into focusing on how my life can still be enjoyable and will continue to be regardless of whether I'm dating or not and gives you something to really focus your energy on. So I think that makes a ton of sense. I will say, I
2: I do, sorry, I talked too much, but I do hope that that is what people will get out of the, the breakup show when it comes out, is that there's so many shows that are focused on dating and they're aren't very many that are focused on the breakup and what that looks like so I do hope that people will be able to glean those lessons from the show
1: yeah no I hope so as well I'm kind of torn in like different directions to take this I think since we were just talking about your own dating advice go rock climbing after a breakup Do you have any dating app experiences that you can talk about you said oh you're gosh, not really so, so much a fan um but have you had experiences that have shaped your opinions on that any best or
2: worst stories to share are you mm. are you dating currently yeah no i mean i've been on the apps for years i think that they are slot machines you know i think they are literally slot machines and i think every now and then someone wins the lottery And it gives the rest of us hope to keep playing. But I think they are nothing more than gambling. And you can find their pitch decks where they talk about their user retention. Like, they are not looking to get you off the app. And the other thing that I find fascinating is that technology is quite advanced, right? We have the technology to find good matches for people, but the apps don't care about that, right? Like, you could, facial recognition software... After a hundred swipes, should know exactly what kind of faces you like and frankly never show you anything else. There may be inherent problems of racism and bias in there if we worked that way, but my point is like facial recognition software, AI, you know, after you've sent a certain number of chats could you know suggest that you take it offline or geolocation services could suggest a coffee shop between you like the, this stuff exists but they don't care so that's kind of my rant against dating apps but but i have great stories from it <laughs> i joke that i love the app we well my, my my absolutely worst one is my go-to which is that i met a guy on a dating app but i looked him up and actually he also went to yale And we had 34 mutual friends on Facebook. And I was like, oh, this is, like, not an app. This is going to be great. We have all these mutual friends. Like, worst case scenario, we become friends. The very first thing this guy said to me, ran into him outside of the bar where we were meeting. He said, he was on the phone. And, like, when he got off the phone, I said, is everything okay? And he said, I know this is a lot to drop on a first date. But four months ago, I had sex with this girl. And she's pregnant, and I've been trying to convince her to have an abortion, but today I found out she's keeping the baby, and I was just talking to my sister on the phone. Oh, my gosh. So, (laughs) dinner? (laughs) What a psycho. What a psycho. Like, that is such a gift, though. I'm like, this is so insane. Like, so insane. And there were, again, I could talk for an hour about the details with that one and about you know, me then tracing back the timeline of, like, when we matched and, like, he was convincing Mm. this woman to have an abortion while, like, sending me messages on a dating app, like, and the hubris of even showing up on the date, I'm like, do you know how many men have, like, canceled dates with no word? Like, you could have done that. And then he, he turns out to be very egotistical and narcissistic. So actually what I said to him is I said, so this is not a date, but let's take a walk around the block. Because at that point, you know, we went to college together, even though we didn't know each other, we had 34 mutual friends. So I was still really giving him the benefit of the doubt. I was like, this is not a date, but like a, my innate curiosity, going back to the very top of this show with my fascination with human relationships, I wanted to know everything, but there was also a part of me that like felt bad for him. Like, was he a really responsible human? And this was like a freak thing, right? Or <laughs> was he a piece of shit? Um, which he was. So I asked him pretty early on. I said, so did you not bag it up? Because I was really curious of unwanted pregnancies. How many were, you know, were they just... Okay, so anyway, so he gets indignant, which I thought was maybe a time to have a little humility and be like, yeah, you know. I sh-. Anyway, basically, I said, did you bag hmm. it up? And he... I said, did you back it up? And he said, what? You've never made a risky decision before? You've never thrown a beer bottle off a roof, even though it might kill a man? And I remember being like, Allie, you have to remember all these words because you can't get out your notebook. You have to remember them because they're so bonkers. It's like, first of all, no, I've never thrown a beer bottle off a roof because I'm not a fucking asshole. But also, has that ever killed a man? Whereas having sex without a condom is literally how you make a baby. Like, The whole thing was bananas. Like, he just told me so many, like, sexist, insane things, and then I left and never heard from him again, which also, like, that was crazy, right? Like, it wasn't a date, but I think a normal human might have reached out later and been like, whoa, I'm really sorry I unloaded on you, and that was really inappropriate, (laughs) but he never did. I'm, like, literally inspired
1: by this. I was like, maybe there should be a show about that. Let's oh walk around the block. See what awkward stuff can come up in the context I and mean, the timing <laughs> oh, of the, walk around the block. Oh, my friends
2: know that I will do anything for a story. So I was like, this is not a date, but wow, I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> But I at first I really like empathized and then he you know, he started saying, Oh, if all the girls I've ever had sex with, I wouldn't want it to be her Like he just said a ton of awful things. Wow. It was wild. Um so I have stands up about that. But anyway
1: <laughs> And I can't even get over it. The fact that you guys have so many mutuals. Like I feel like I like to believe. I hope that he has seen that the inspires- stand up. I hope he's seen the stand up because it may have popped yeah, up for him me too. <laughs> yeah. Like You know, when you have people in common that you know, I would like to believe that that might make people act on their best behavior. What if that's
2: his best behavior? Yes, so I went and I told all 34 mutual friends. And one of our friends said, oh, yeah, I went on a date with him and he asked me for my advice as a medical professional about what to do about the fact that he just had unprotected sex with a stripper. (laughs) So I was like, oh, okay, this is who he is. It was really a disgrace to our alma mater. But, um... (laughs) i will tell you guys his name after we record or i can tell you and you can bleep it out because that might be fun do you want me to tell you his name <laughs> yeah sure it's i don't know what he's up to now this was years ago
0: okay i actually f- i'm gonna i'm gonna have to check this i found out, out way later yep. that
2: apparently the baby was not actually his mm. it gets even
1: more scandalous but <laughs> yeah, it could no, have it's- been as could numerous other babies have been yeah
2: his. oh my gosh yes 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 so anyway so yeah that was uh but, you know, well, that-
0: fortunately, that's the only terrible man to have ever come out of Yale University. So I think we're fine. <laughs> and out of the dating no apps, are normally fine there.
2: I mean, I don't know. It's interesting, though, because I could have met him through real life, right? So the dating apps, they're kind of the same. It's just there's less vetting. I don't know. I don't know. But it's the yeah. same people. I mean, I was listening to someone recently who said, like, dating apps aren't the problem. It's the fact that it's the way that we use them as people, right? This is a tool, and we're all using the tool kind of badly. Um, But I also think they're innately structured poorly.
1: Yeah, well, that's it, to your point, too. And Nancy Jo Sales, who we've interviewed on this show and who's written and produced a documentary about this kind of idea, you know, really her research has supported what you're saying. And I mean, other research has as well, that in fact, of course, the dating apps aren't invested in you finding your forever person, because then you wouldn't be coming back. And there's, as you said, you gave some really concrete examples, lots of things they could easily implement if they truly wanted to make it a better experience, and they don't. so So it's important that consumers understand that. The good news, a piece of good news is you know there are other ways to meet people whether it's in person and you know through shows like yours creative opportunities going out and doing something fun like going to a comedy show and online too you know these days we've got like the vouch dating groups um we've got special interest groups where people can find other people so even to our world of strangers on the internet there's other ways besides dating apps and some of them i'm really excited to see what happens with the vouch dating groups like if people are are Putting their name on whoever they're putting out there and saying, yeah. "I've done the vetting on this person." I mean, we can never know for sure what somebody's like in a dating context, even if they seem really great in a friend context. But yeah, you know, we'll see. Um, your your bad story was really bad. <laughs> Do you have any good Isn't stories from meeting anyone in, in any kind of way yeah. through like other than just naturally out in the wild?
2: Yeah. No. Um. Shout out to my ex, Russell, if he ever listens. But I met a guy on a dating app. We dated for like two months wasn't a match, now we're friends. And not only are we, like, pretty solidly friends, he sent one of his friends to be a bachelor in my show. And Mm -hmm. then my ex and his whole crew came to support their friend, who was a bachelor in Love Isn't Blind, and they were adorable. And he is a guitarist in a band, and I went to see him perform last week. And so I think there's a lot of lovely things that can happen. I also think a lot of people are, like, there's like this taboo on being friends with exes. I think if no one treated anyone badly, it can be really wonderful to stay friends. I, I have a, I have an ex, not that I dated on and off for a very long time, and we're good friends now. And both of these men that I just mentioned have girlfriends. So there's not like an ulterior motive. I'm actually meeting one of the girlfriends next week. But I think, I think first of all, I think exes can be friends. And yeah, I have made, oh, I have an even better story. Oh, he'll love me telling this too because we always tell each other. We say, you're my favorite Hinge date because I met this guy on Hinge. We went on like two dates climbing and we're so different. If you ever meet him, you'll be like, yeah, you guys are so different. (laughs) But we decided to be friends and to become climbing buddies and we've climbed together almost every week for like three years now. We go on climbing trips together. We organize climbing trips together and so we always joke with each other. We're like, still my best Hinge date. And then I, I was actually dating there was a guy I met off hinge that I was really excited about this spring. It didn't work out, but my buddy was like, am I still your best hinge date? <laughs> so That's yeah, cute. I mean, we're, he's, he's really wonderful. And, um, yeah. And we are like good climbing I weddings. never, I
0: never understood all these like hang ups about exes. Maybe it's because I'm European. Okay. <laughs> but, like, for example, like the college boyfriend that you and I were discussing earlier that, uh, that you've, Matt, like (laughs) I've been to his wedding and he's been to my wedding and like you know it's just not a big deal like and yeah I mean I I have you know a couple of friends from the dating apps it just didn't work out for whatever reason and I don't I don't think it needs to be that big of a deal because you clearly still had some things in common I was gonna say something about what you were both talking about about the apps and yeah I I completely agree I mean there's a lot of messing around on the part of the apps and and we've now seen that in a number of documentaries and and podcasts, et cetera. But at the end of the day, at the risk of sounding provocative, isn't the biggest problem just how many bad men there are out there. And I know Nancy Jo Sales says the apps have made them even worse. And I think there is something to be said for her argument, but whether it's that they got worse or didn't get worse at the end of the day, you know, whether you're talking about meeting in real life or you're talking about meeting on the apps, there are just really high odds of like running into someone who's either just not a good person or downright dangerous. And again, hashtag not all men, right? But, you know, everyone seems to have the story, whether you're talking to men or women, they have the story of, oh, I know all these amazing single Mm -hmm. women.
2: And I don't know nearly
0: as many amazing as I want. And I've heard you talk about, the problem with people no longer matchmaking their friends. And I completely agree with you on that. At the same (laughs) time, isn't part of that due to a dearth of worthy male candidates. I love that. I love
2: that. And I love that coming from you who are married. So please fight the good fight for all of us. Because when I say that, I sound like a bitter single woman, but I agree with you. I know so many fabulous single ladies. Shout out to my single ladies. I have a great crew and there just aren't as many great men. And it's they, my friends make fun of me because for the show, my biggest my biggest impediment to scaling is that I insist on using good men in the show and they're hard to find. And my friends were like, oh, you didn't know they'd be hard to find, Allie? You know what I mean? So actually, finally, I have some sponsors coming in and I just hired someone who's going to start next week to help me source contestants because I'm taking the show to three different cities next month And I want to keep expanding, but I I need to find more men. But yeah, there's so many great women. I have a theory, um, which maybe yeah. So my theory is that women and gay men and people of color, they're told by society from birth that there is something wrong or they're not as good. And so they actually are constantly looking to improve and and trying to do the work or whatever I think whether or not they even realize it something something one of my gay friends said that blew my mind is he said first when you realize you're gay it's like this curse and you hate it and you wish you could change it then you come to accept it then you realize it's a gift because you can question everything you were taught my point being that I think straight white men do not necessarily ever confront that and so the result is these women are out there working on themselves I mean I can't tell you all the single girlfriends I have how they're always like doing dating courses and going to therapy and I've told some of my girls I'm like honestly the problem's not you you could fucking do 50,000 dating courses but unless the men improve what's what's gonna happen right so there's some movements something that's been very interesting with love isn't blind is that I found out early on that a lot of my contestants were secretly in men's groups and not like pickup artists, sleazy men's groups, but it's, it's a thing in LA. It's growing in certain cities where men get together with other men to talk about their emotions because it's not really, you know, patriarchy is not good for men either. So it's interesting to me to realize when I was searching for good men, that they were secretly doing this thing. And so then I started pitching men's groups for more contestants. So I agree with you. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And our episode with John Schinnerer was all about that. Right. And really kind of trying to get men to recognize and, and, and get together and uh, talk about these things. So he runs um, men's groups, you know, oh, California. Oh,
2: Oh, okay. In, in I'm Bay so area. sorry that I haven't yeah. already listened to this episode, but can you, can I, I send me the link. I need to listen. And then can you please introduce me to him?
0: <laughs> yeah, of okay. course. Yeah, okay. I'm sure you would love okay. that. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so you're, I mean, you also have a podcast that we haven't really explicitly mentioned yet, which is uh, two girls, one podcast. I'm so sorry for the name, but I think it's a classic,
2: you know, it's a classic video at this point. I've actually never seen it.
0: (laughs) So it deals with internet culture. It's had a number of episodes related to online dating uh, and things like that. Like how, how do you relate to the podcast and to the shows personally? Like, do you think it's a way to kind of maybe work through some of these societal problems and and try to improve things? Like, how do you kind of visualize, like, your your work and where it fits into, you know, into this world and where this world is going, I guess? Big picture question. I
2: mean, my answer is much simpler. I like that you're trying to put a very grand lens on it, but the truth is I just am doing what I love all the time. Like, I'm just... So I love live performance. I love getting people meeting each other. I love like rowdy situations. Like something that I'm so proud of with Love Isn't Blind is the number of couples that come to the audience. Like at my last show, it was like half red wristbands as opposed to green. And some of the single people were annoyed. They were like, there were so many taken people here. And so I'm just going after the things that I love. And so with Two Girls, One Podcast, I think it stems back to, again, the very beginning of this conversation that I just think relationships, human relationships are fascinating in any form. So what's really fascinating to me about the internet and the way the podcast got started is that essentially there are all these people out there who think, oh my God, I love XYZ. I'm such a freak. I'm so alone. I'm so weird. And then they go online and they find out there's a huge community of people who have that same exact preference, kink, lifestyle fetish, whatever it is. Our very first episode was furries, right? And they find this huge community and they find friendships. And so I find that really fascinating in a very similar way that I find breakups fascinating and dating fascinating so but to me it is just following that through line of human relationships and how we interact and the, the I guess the secondary thing that I love about the podcast is just that like which is true in all my projects is like the internet has changed the way we communicate we break up by text we find friends online like it has fundamentally changed the way we interact and Um, I sort of joke that in another life I would have been an anthropologist. You know, I just think it's very fascinating from a theater perspective. I mean, one of my early projects years ago in New York is I started a sketch comedy group where we would perform internet text. And that sounds very, you know, cliche now, but... I remember when people first started blogging and I was like, holy shit, like people are putting their diaries on the internet. Like it was so crazy to me, you know, and what would it mean to perform those dramatically in a theater? Like we've really witnessed like unprecedented changes in storytelling and communication in the past 10 to 20 years.
0: So you work on so many different projects (laughs) and, and I love that. And you're just so incredibly Creative. where do you get your ideas and uh, what would you recommend to our listeners as to what they can do to foster their own creative streaks in whatever area that might. Be?
2: I joke a lot that, um, you know, therapists always say like, release your emotions and identify them. And I joke a lot that you should bottle them up. <laughs> you know, I know so many people who are like, Oh, I should, I want to do X, Y, Z, but it gives me a lot of anxiety and I should really trust my gut. And I'm like, anxiety, you should be bottling that up. <laughs> I have a pet peeve. I have so many people who come to me and say, oh, they want to be doing something creative. And I have a lot of late night conversations where someone's like, if I could do, you know, they feel like they can tell me because I'm doing all this weird shit. And they're like, I want to be painting. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, go do it. And they're like, oh, no, no. Cause I, I can't like, and it's always, it always comes back to them being afraid in some form. And I'm like, you got to bottle it up. After the pandemic, I was like kind of terrified to create a show. And it was really wild to like acknowledge that in myself and then make a conscious choice to ignore it and I literally, I rented a theater before I had Love Is It Blind Ironed Out. But I was like, I'm not going to fucking do it unless I go rent a theater first. I'm a big fan of renting a theater, and then it creates your deadline. <laughs> but I could I could talk all day about how to pursue creative projects. I think ignore your fear. I think also it's really important to think in terms of baby steps. A lot of people are like, oh, I could never put on a whole show. And I'm like, well, you're not just putting on a show next week suddenly right like you rent the theater you come up with the concepts you iron out the concepts you know what i mean there's just all these kind of baby steps that i tell people all the time like i've told friends they tell me i had a friend recently who was like my dream would be to give a ted talk and i'm like okay well saying i'm gonna give a ted talk feels insurmountable but if you say all right in 2024 i want to get x number of pieces published and i want to have Why number of coffees with people who I think are a couple levels above me right like what are all the baby steps you can take till one day you're there but it's easy for me to say though because I've never really had like a real job so like I don't (laughs) which I joke is a little bit of a blessing because I never really had that security to miss it. I think it helps some people,
1: like hearing from people like yourself, I think it's always good to have a blend of people in your life. My boyfriend's that way. And I think he is a good influence on me. And I'd like to think I am on him, like on maybe the opposite end of the spectrum. But before I met him, this is a while before I met him, but he just like quit his job without any job lined up. He was like, I'm just going to take some time. I don't want to yeah. be doing this anymore and I've got a little money saved up. I'm just going to take some time. I would have never, ever done that, but you know, and he yeah. would tell you that that time off was good and was bad. Like there were some things he regrets that he would have done differently, but I mean, he did it. He was bold. Like, you know, like, yeah, you, you know, if you do went to the theater, you got to do it. And so, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's something to be learned from people, whatever path they have taken, whatever personality type, you're more of a, fearless doer you don't seem to be drawn in by the more like let's play it safe oh, I have a lot of, of fear S-R.
2: I just don't listen to it <laughs> I'm not fearless I just bottle it up We. so what does your boyfriend do now
1: well he works again he's working for the government it's like the ultimate womp womp to that story but <laughs> um but he you know he's got a plan in mind he, yeah. he did enjoy his time off it helped him reset figure out how to look at jobs as a means to an end rather than a place to spend your entire life and energy which you know is maybe different when you're doing what you love which is lovely I mean there's pros and cons to different ways of doing things I don't
2: necessarily think that everyone should just fuck their fears and do whatever they want I think there's a lot of value I mean I joke all the time that I wish I fucking fell in love with econ in college like how great would it be to just like love numbers (laughs) you know and have benefits like that would be awesome if that was what I loved so I think the people who are really winning are the people who love their corporate job (laughs) that's right so yeah but but what I'm doing is for me the pandemic was strangely affirming because I think I spent a lot of time you know, it's like having gone to Yale. I had a lot of guilt around, like, should I be doing something more responsible? But then, like, the fabric of society was torn asunder. And I was like, we're good. Yeah, everyone should just be <laughs> doing what they want to do. And I saw people with normal jobs get the rug pulled out from under them. So post-pandemic, I've been like, nah, sticking with this for sure. I think that was a great
1: question, Irena, about just, like, helping people harness their creativity. Because I think so many people are either inclined towards playing it safe or honestly just get so caught up In all of the many things that seem to demand their attention, that it's hard to make the time for things that you actually enjoy or that to create usually requires you've got to get in a different kind of headspace and um, be willing to start from scratch and to be comfortable with taking risks, even if it's just with your ideas. So I know that'll be really helpful for our listeners.
2: Well, I have another small piece of advice that I tell my friends, which is don't go home because a lot of people, they're like, oh, by the time I go home, I'm so exhausted from my work day. And it's like, yeah, the second you walk into your own space and your couch is there and maybe even your chores are there and all the other things you could be doing, you're not going to do it. But if you go directly from your 9 to 5 to a coffee shop because you want to be a writer or you want to write on the side, if you go directly somewhere else and you sit down and you write, you will actually do that thing. You know what I mean? So I just tell people don't go home.
0: (laughs) Great advice. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so this is all so fascinating i've i have been thinking a lot about creativity lately and look i mean even the podcast we're on right now like it has its detractors there are people mostly men who are not thrilled about what we're doing here and it's like what am i doing i'm a law professor like what is this weird dating and some other topics show and like for, for michelle also it's maybe a little more tied for her to her like Psychology job, but but for us, like it really is a show about everything, right it's about legal issues and it's about psychology issues and it is about anthropology and it is about sociology yeah. and you know and and so uh i I think those of us who maybe think we can bring something a little bit different to the public like just have to go for yeah. it at some point, and like the good good the good people will yeah, you guys are doing at it at the end of the day, so I believe yeah. that we're doing yeah. it, we're all doing yeah. it, so. Thank you so much, Ellie. This was fantastic. We really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for having me. Any single people listening should apply to
2: be a contestant. I will take great care of them. They can go to loveisntblind.co. There's a tab that says be a contestant. Apply. Let's chat about it. As as I said many times earlier in the show, my goal is not to throw anyone under the bus. I'm going to make you look fabulous. You're going to get dates. So single people, go apply. loveisntblind.co no matter where you live, because I'm expanding the cities and I will go wherever I can get contestants.
0: Great. Well, we'll definitely uh, <laughs> uh, encourage people to check that out and that they can watch some of the, the videos on your socials. So I, uh, I think it's going to continue to be a super fun show. Enjoy this podcast. Please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. All our platforms are accessible at strangersoninternet.com. Again, that's strangersoninternet.com. There's no the in there. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter, Instagram, or Mastodon, where we are on the Fostodon server with two S's. We also appreciate support to defray our costs to run the podcast. You can help us out at swipe strangers on coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Klujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.